Hear the words of Jesus that he said in Matthew 28. He said, go therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we know his name is Jesus. And he went on to say that uh, you would cast out demons. You would uh, speak new life. You would see miracles, signs, and wonders. They would follow believers. And that is the battlefield that we are still on tonight. And tonight, I'm not, I'm not going to preach about what knocks us off the battlefield. I'm going to preach about us getting back on the battlefield and staying on the battlefield tonight. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians tonight, chapter number 10. And if you found it in your Bible or you're heading there in your Bible, say amen. amen. If you're cheating, say that's me. It's on the screen, huh? <laughs> Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter number 10, four verses in your hearing tonight. For though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through gods of the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God and having all readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Tonight I want to preach from a portion of verse number four and I'm going to read it all one more time. Why don't you read it with me from the screen up there? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The second phrase there, the, last, or the first few words, mighty through God, is what I want to preach tonight. And I believe that as we go into this service and as we finish off this evening tonight, God is going to bestow upon us an equipping in the Spirit. And He's going to bestow upon us a strength to be back on the battlefield, reaching for the souls of men and women, fighting a good fight of faith, as Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And He's going to send us strength that we thought we lost somewhere back a ways back. And He's going to send us help that we didn't think we ever had had. And He's going to send us the things and the weapons into our life that as we discipline our lives to practice and sharpen those weapons, He will send revival. We're in revival this weekend, right? We're here to have revival of the Spirit. And He is going to revive us to the point of getting back on the battlefield tonight. Why don't you throw your hands in the air before we go on and let us pray and let us ask the Lord to have His way. Lord Jesus, I pray for the unction of the Spirit to come upon me to speak the words of help and life into this room. I pray also, Lord God, that Your Spirit would move in among us, Lord. Inhabit this place, I pray tonight. Bring strength unto Your people. Bring direction unto Your people. Bring commitment into Your people's lives tonight. God, I pray pray that you would give us a singular focus to reach the lost and reach people for the kingdom. Give us a singular focus to combat addiction, to combat the echoes of hell that are saying that the church is useless, the church is nothing. Give us a singular vision to stand in a wicked generation and declare there is one life, there is one way, one truth, and one life. And you are Him, Jesus. Help us, Lord, tonight and bless us with your presence in the name of Jesus. And somebody who loves Him, shout Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated tonight in the house of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to opposition in his life. 
if you take some time and you read the book of Acts and then you follow it up with the 13, 14, maybe a few more books in the New Testament that he wrote. Some say he didn't write Hebrews. I think he did. The wording sounds very similar. But if you read his epistles that he wrote, you would find that he injected within uh, his writing so many things that indicate how difficult life actually was for him. He becomes the primary individual of the book of Acts at chapter number 13. And from that point until the close of Acts, we see that Paul endures hardship many times throughout his life because he carried the gospel everywhere he went. In chapter 14 alone, his life is threatened by the Jews that are upset because he preaches about Jesus. And he flees over the side of a city wall, being let down in a basket, escaping them. But the Jews follow him to the next town because they wanted to get revenge on him preaching Jesus. So they follow him to the next town. And they catch him, they drag him outside the city. And they condemn him to death by stoning him. And he is left for dead, or so they thought. But here's what happens in Acts 14 and 20. It says, how be it, as the disciples stood around. They are probably standing around, Brother White, wondering, okay, what do we do now? I can imagine Luke, the writer of, of, of Acts, wondering, okay, what do we do now? The Bible says, how be it, as the disciples stood around, he, being Paul, rose up. Now that's a whole nother message for a whole nother day. But let me just tell you, his life was not easy. Matter of fact, his life got very difficult because of the gospel's sake. But I want to point out to you tonight that even though his life was difficult, his mission was greater than the difficulty that came into his life. Is it any wonder that his writings have injected within them a military flair at every turn of the page? Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. War a good warfare. Hey, Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore your loins girt about with, the, the, with, with truth. I'm here to tell somebody today, it doesn't matter what comes against you. You are on a battlefield and the fight is fixed. The fight is fixed today. And if you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to back down from. You have nothing to walk away from. You are on the winning side. But I'm here to tell you, even though you're on the winning side, it's not a time for the church to just sit idly by and say, somebody else will do the work. Somebody else will fight the fight of faith. It is up to us who are breathing today in the church. It is up to the generation of elders to lead us who are younger in the middle age on. And it is us for to grab back to the next generation of young people and children and say come on let me teach you how to fight as David said he teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight I'm here to tell somebody today it's going to take every one of us to do the will of God in our communities it's going to take every one of us to do the will of God in our schools in our workplaces and in the areas that we live and we must work together in the kingdom to do that fight the good fight of faith Paul endured opposition That he had to fight against at every turn. Not only that, he had to endure insurgency that tried to creep within the church multiple times. That's actually what he's dealing with in 2 Corinthians in that passage that we read. Insurgency. There was division that was trying to make its way into the church to divide the body of Christ. And because the enemy is so crafty in his devices, he understood, if I cannot make them all fall, I can divide them and make them fight each other rather than fighting me. 
And this is the matter that is being addressed in 2 Corinthians 10. And there was a group of people that were trying to come in as the Bible indicates and sow discord and division among the believers. I'm here to tell you one of the greatest things that we can have as an apostolic church in this 21st century is not cool lighting. It's not great music. It's not a live stream that beats out everybody else's live stream. It's not musicians who can do everything left, right, and center. What we can have in the body of Christ is a singular attitude. We are of the way. We are of the body of Christ and we are not going to divide amongst ourselves. We are going to stay unified for the goal of reaching the lost. Let me just tell you the kingdom of heaven suffers violence as my brother said and the violent take it by force and they have a goal to come against us and they are in unison fighting against us. Why should we war one with another? We should be together in unity. And Paul was fighting disunity at this point. They were trying to make disciples of themselves rather than make disciples of Jesus Christ. They were coming in with pride and arrogance and trying to strip away everything that God was building up among that church in Corinth. And Paul had enough and calls it out for what it was. You're carnal, you're fleshly, and all you're trying to do is get disciples for yourself rather than of Jesus Christ. Allow me to bring this perspective into view in, into the 20th century, or 21st century in 2022 where we live tonight. I'm not talking about calling people out for things that they are doing wrong or, or problems that we have. How many know, there go I, but by the grace of God. But what I am here to call out is the enemy and his devices and his ways and his tactics that he's trying to bring against the church right now. I'm here standing as a Paul to say, we need to be very aware of what the enemy is trying to do among the body of believers because if we are not in unison, if we are not in lockstep with the gospel and with each other and the leadership that God has placed in our local church, then we are out of step with the will of God. It is that clear. And if we're out of step with the will of God, then we are failing God. Paul, he goes on and he identifies that the craftiness of the enemy that has come against the church is trying to whittle away at a church that is a church that has had its problems, yes, but is a church of power, is a church that is reaching a very metropolitan, very uh, very modern city of Corinth. And he identifies that if the church is able to be whittled away there, then the church might be snuffed out altogether in that city. And where does the gospel need to be? preached but at the center of Roman culture of that time at that crossroads of Corinth where trade was coming in and people from all over the world from Europe and Asia and Africa would make their way in and he says we need to get an understanding tonight that the enemy is trying to come in like a flood but I remember what the prophet said in the Old Testament but the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him I'm here to ask somebody tonight are you willing to just sit idly by and let things ruin the church of the living God or are you thinking that this is something worth fighting for I know as Joshua said it applies to me as well as for me and my house we will serve the Lord but that's not as far as I'm going to go as for me and my house and everybody that I can influence I'm going to bring them along to serving the Lord as for me and my church we're going to serve the Lord as for me and my family we're going to serve the Lord but Paul had to indicate something else to the church there He had to indicate that they didn't fight against people. Matter of fact, he told the church in Ephesus, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, uh, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He had to tell them and remind them that the person sitting next to you that may have said something wrong against you or did something that you don't like, they're not your enemy. Matter of fact, the sinner isn't even our enemy. The drug addict isn't our enemy. Even the pusher is not our enemy or the alcoholic, the abuser, the corrupt. Somebody say amen. amen. The adversary, the devil, is our enemy. So let me echo what Paul said there. We are not to have division among the body of Christ. We are to have unity among the body. The insurgency that wants to come to terrorize the church of the living God comes because Satan knows whenever people are in unison with the plan and will and purpose of God, there is nothing that can stand against it. He knows that if he can divide from within, then he can tear down from without to within. And he can tear down lives and he can tear down families and he can tear down children and young people. But let that not be said of our church. Not that, not, let that not be said here in, in this tri-state region. Let that not be said of the people that we fellowship with and we go to church with. We are going to stand in unison with Jesus Christ because we know the enemy we see his tactics. And we're going to stand on the battlefield and say no more devil. I'm here to remind somebody that today God has more in store than what we've seen to this juncture. The glory days are not behind us. The days of revival are not behind us. The days of miracles are not behind us. The Bible indicates that in the last days, the latter rain shall be greater than that of the former and the latter put together. I'm living in those days. I don't know about you, but I want to see blinded eyes open. I want to see the addicted come and throw down their drugs on an altar and walk away and never have a craving again. I want to see the bound and oppressed come and have liberty once again and depression cease in their lives. I want to see people be able to walk up with medications to an altar and say, God delivered me. God healed me. The doctors can't explain it, but I know where it came from. The glory days are not behind us. And I've come to this service tonight to give a certain sound and call somebody to the battlefield tonight. You may have walked off because of distraction. You may have gotten lazy in your relationship with God and discipline fell along the way. You may have had difficulty that happened in your family. Or maybe COVID messed with you so much that you just lost your focus and lost your vision. I'm here to call you back to the battlefield tonight. If we're going to see the last time an end day revival that scripture promised, the church must stand against the culture that would try to silence the message of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we will be hated for his namesake. But let me tell you what, there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven or among men whereby men must be saved. It's only at the name of Jesus. And if that's the only saving name, then I don't care what the government may say. I don't care what the clubs in town may say. I don't care what the teacher at school may say or the employer may say. I am a Jesus person and I'm going to declare Jesus when I go out. I'm going to declare Jesus when I come in. I'm going to declare him among my friends and my family. I am going to be a man of God. And we must combat the strongholds that would come against the souls of people who we need to reach. And we must fight for them before they ever know that they are bound. Before they ever know that they need freedom. And before they ever know that this church is here, your church at home is there. We must fight for them even before 
they make their way in the doors of this church. We must confront the enemy for the souls of men and women. Teens and children are sitting in the balance tonight. I'm here to tell you, your willingness to stay on the battlefield will, yes, save your soul, but it could also save the souls of men and women that you could influence for the kingdom of God. The repercussions of either staying on the battlefield or walking off are so great, they're eternal. Don't go off the battlefield tonight. Paul admonished the church in Rome and he told them you are more than conquerors. And that was 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you what, it's still true today in this church in this hour. Two millennia later, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors and the weapons that He has given us are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds that we might see revival in this church, in our communities, among our family. I don't know about you, but I got too many lost family members. I don't know about you, but I got too many lost colleagues. I got too many people that I associate with on a weekly basis that are lost I have to stay on the battlefield in order for us to be able to be well equipped for the battlefield let me say tonight that we must have spiritual discernment and wisdom today we do not fight people we do not fight even agendas that exist in our society we do not wrestle against flesh and blood we wrestle against principalities and powers spiritual wickedness in high places Please understand my heartbeat though. We love the addict. We love them because their soul is eternal and we don't want to see it go to hell. We love the lost because such were some of us. But we have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus. We love the atheist and we're only going to win them through love. We're not going to win them through a debate or an argument. We're only going to win them through love. We, we love the persecutor as the early church loved Paul after he had his conversion on the Damascus Road. We love them because their soul matters too. Even though they may condemn us. Even though they may ridicule us. We love them too. Remember, we we may walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are so much better. They are not carnal. They are not bombs. They are not guns. They are not weapons of man's warfare. They are mighty through God. We must have spiritual discernment today. Because if we try to fight a spiritual fight with human efforts, we will find ourselves sadly mistaken and falling short every time. If we try to fight this fight to reach souls with human ideology and cool gimmicks and things that make us look attractive, let me just tell you today, we're going to miss the mark. I believe in putting our best foot forward. I believe in doing our absolute best. And every time that we do something as a church, we must do it to our absolute best to be able to appeal to people and reach them. But let me just tell you what, if we do our absolute best and it looks all great and there's no prayer behind it, we miss the mark. If there's no fasting behind it we miss the mark if there's no spirit behind it we miss the mark I'm here to tell you today our weapons are not carnal but they are mighty through God we can put on a good show but it's the spirit in it I want the spirit to be in everything I do I want it to be seasoned with prayer and with fasting I want it to be seasoned with a life of dedication we got to have discernment today to know and do what works And not only that, we need discernment to be able to track what the enemy is trying to do. There are some times when there are things that happen to us that are just life. And we pray that God gives us the strength through life. Has anybody ever had some of those just life moments? Or it's just life that happens. The car breaks down, then that hot water heater goes out, and then your dog gets ran over on that next day. That's just life. That's bad. 
But then there are things that are spiritual attacks from the enemy. Whenever your mind is attacked and you can't sleep at night because anxiety comes. There are things that are spiritual attacks and we need to discern between the two. And we need to understand that we must season those things that we recognize as spiritual attacks and spiritual difficulties with the things that work. Spiritual things that work. I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to just read your Bible only and get the help from God that you need. You need to read your Bible and you need to pray. You can't just pray and not show up to church and get what you're looking for from God. You need to pray and you need to show up in the house of the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Bible, the Word, the Spirit, and the man of God are three things that have the authority in our lives. And if we have those three in the right place in our lives, the Word, the Spirit, and the man of God, then we are able to withstand whatever may come our way and God will honor our stance. And God will honor our faithfulness. But get outside of those three and try to do it on your own. And you're walking alone, honey. You've taken off the full armor of God. You cast the helmet of salvation off to the side somewhere. You threw down the sword of the Spirit and doing things your own way. We must have spiritual discernment to understand that we are only going to win this fight God's way. It is only His way. And we must have spiritual discernment to understand what strongholds bind the region that we live in. And what happens there under the, the stronghold or the principality and power of the air. We must bind them. And we must fight against them. Let me just tell you, in my home where I live, there's a drug culture. There's an abuse culture. And there's a poverty mentality that exists that is very heavy, very oppressive, and very difficult. And whenever we are able to reach someone, we are able to minister because we have prayed and broken that mentality or that culture off of them. We need in our area, in, in the area that you live, you need to understand what is happening there so you can pray in the spirit and war a good warfare in the spirit. I don't know exactly what it is. I I notice some things and I feel some things in the spirit. And and I'm just here to tell you that the church is not bound by economic oppression. The church is not bound by skeletons of what used to be in, in, I, I guess you would call it the rust belt right here, wouldn't you? The, the, the church of the living God and God's ability to minister in this area does not become bound based upon what is happening among the people here. What can happen is whenever we pray and we break through strongholds and we lose liberty in the spirit, we are able to do spiritual warfare whereby God can bring about revival and God can loose people and set them free. I'm here to call somebody to the battlefield tonight. I'm here to call you back to the battlefield of prayer where you once were. I'm here to call you back to the battlefield and say don't give up God is working for you we got to have spiritual discernment today there are many things that would try to come against the church to thwart our efforts in this world ministering to the lost compromise tries to come so oftentimes entitlement oftentimes I've seen it so often uh, being part of the youth committee of my district for 10 years, I've seen it so often that young people become entitled with what's, what they're blessed with. And they think that if anything's off, they can't continue to... Uh, it, something's just missing. We, we want the good things. And listen, we want to give you the good things. But whenever it comes to my generation and even the generation younger than me, we are literally living in houses we didn't build, eating from vineyards we did not plant, Brother White. My generation, the generation younger than me, 
We didn't sow all the seeds that were necessary. We didn't, we didn't go into the promised land, so to speak, and, and remove all of the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Moabites or any of them. We have been sitting at the table of being blessed for so long that we need not let entitlement get into our persona. God has not called us to sit on our laurels and just enjoy the blessings that God has blessed His church with. He has called us to a battlefield no matter your age, no matter if you got gray hair if you're like me and you're going to the point of no hair eventually God has called us to a battlefield young person it doesn't matter if you're 15, 14, 12 or 11 God has called you to fight a fight in your life against the adversary and the enemy we need to be very aware of his tactics he would try to allow compromise and entitlement to get into the church listen he would try to also Convince us because we know people or we have friends or maybe even family members that want to live uh, alternative lifestyles. Let me just put it that way that are completely abominable in the word of God. He would try to convince us that it's all right. It's just a choice. And he would try to get that spirit infiltrating the church. He would try to also convince us that the family unit is no longer important. And let me just tell you tonight, if you've suffered the effects of a divorce or if you've been there or if your family uh, has experienced that or your parents have done that, let me just tell you there is healing that can come in the house of the Lord. There is healing that can come in the house of the Lord and strength. I would wager to say that there is no family that is represented in this house that at some point, whether it's extended family, aunts, uncles, whatever it may be, that has not experienced this bane of our present society of divorce today. And, and the enemy would like to tear down the family and try to cause disunity and try to cause chaos within it. But I'm here to tell you today, God is able to put all things back together again. The king in the, in the nursery rhyme, a Humpty Dumpty, he couldn't do it. Nor could his horses, nor could his men. But the king of kings can put it back together. The king of kings can put all things back together again. I'm here to tell you today also that the enemy would like to allow you to think that living an immoral lifestyle while still coming to church is staying on the battlefield. But it really isn't. It's sacrificing the discipline that God wants you to live with and the discipline that God wants you to have because if you are disciplined before the Lord, He can use your life in greater ways than you ever thought before. All of these are strongholds that are trying to dismantle at some point the church of the living God. But I am here to tell you tonight that it is not what the enemy is throwing against us that matters. It is what God's will is and what his plan is that matters. And if we keep that as our focus, we will find that God will give us victory. He will give us victory. But in order to have victory, we must also protect the things that he has blessed us with. I'm not talking about, oh, this is us four and no more. And this is, this is our thing and this is what we do. I'm talking about we must protect the land that God has given us. And we must not just occupy that land. We must use that as a basis to launch into the lost world and bring them in. Protecting what God gives, has given us reminds me of the story of David. It's interesting to me that the first victory that David sees, he kills Goliath in the valley of Elah. And in doing research some years ago and studying in, in 1 Samuel, I found that the valley of Elah was territory that already belonged to Israel, but because Saul would not go out to battle, the Philistines encamped on God's people's land. 
And then Saul and his army hid behind stones and boulders. And David shows up there. He's already anointed to be king later on down the road. He doesn't know when. And and he didn't have to have the answer to when God are you going to send me to do this. I, I don't know who I'm talking to. This isn't anywhere in my notes. And it just struck me and it struck the Holy Ghost. You don't have to know when God wants to release you. Just stay faithful until he does. And find a place where you can fit in the kingdom of God. Assisting your church. Building the kingdom in your town. Helping at your church. Whether it be Sunday school young person. Whether it be helping your youth pastor to get ready for Wednesday night class. Whatever it may be. Find a place and God will release you in his time. Do not think that you can just sit idly by. Because David when he showed up there was righteous indignation. That welled up inside of him and said. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That defiles the armies of the living God. And David is sitting there on Israel's territory. Saying why did we let them even get this far? Why had they even gotten a chance to set up their tents before we attacked them? Why? God gave us this land. It's worth fighting for. And so David had to go and do what a king wouldn't do. And David stepped out on the battlefield as a teenager and he slew Goliath in the valley of Elah in the territory that already belonged to God's people. We need to get the feeling inside of us. Devil, not one more inch our way. Not one more inch to headquarters are you coming. Not one more step to Jerusalem, Philistines, can you come. Not one more inch are you going to make it. We are here and we're going to stand and defend what God gave us. Let me just tell you this. David was as our elders who took land. And David was as our elders who built churches. David was as our elders who pioneered the works whenever literally they would hold tent meetings and people in town would throw eggs and rotten tomatoes at him and say, Preacher, shut up. You're a psycho. You don't know what you're talking about. And they endured it, but God gave them land and God planted churches and God gave them souls to be saved and harvested into the kingdom of God. David is as our elders But there is a need for another generation to arise up after a David. You see, as David became older in years, the Bible indicates to us in 2 Samuel that he was almost caught by the enemy in war. And his mighty men, they said, you can no longer go out with us to battle, but we're going to take the stand here. And his mighty men, that next generation that needed to stay on the battlefield whenever their king couldn't anymore, they had to step up to the plate. And they had to say, you know what? The weapons of his warfare weren't carnal, but they were mighty through God, and God gave him victory. And we have the same weapons today to defend our territory that God has given us and to take new land that God has given us. You see, David was able to conquer much territory and bring his enemies down, but not completely. Another generation had to step up and continue doing so. And when we go from David, who in in 1 Samuel chapter 17 defeated Goliath, we go to 2 Samuel 23, and we find where David's mighty men are discussed. And that's the generation that needs to be standing on the battlefield now. You know, I, I think about that David generation, our elder generation, and I know, Brother White, we threw around some names of people who have gone on to be with the Lord last night when we were at the restaurant. And those mighty men who have gone on before us and that we might know their names such as 
Billy Cole was discussed and uh, Brother Kilgore was discussed last night as we were talking, conversing among one another. And, and we have a generation that is even after them that is paving the way, but we also have a generation of young men and young ladies in the room tonight who is that generation that's coming on. God is not equipping you less than those individuals. He is not equipping you any less than He equipped them. Will you pray as they prayed? Will you give and sacrifice as they sacrificed and gave? Will you fast as they fasted? Will you say, Lord Jesus, I'm not trying to figure out my career. What do you want me to do? See, there has to be a generation that comes on whenever the previous generation has taken the territory that God has allowed them to take that will defend that territory and go even further. And in 2 Samuel 23, we find the names of David's mighty men. Now, I don't have time to go through all 37 of them, but let me just tell you what these mighty men did. In, in verse number 8 of 2 Samuel 23, uh, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachamanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Esnite. He lifted up his spear against 800 men whom he slew at one time. A spear killed 800 men in the hands of a man who stood and said, the enemy will not come and repossess the land that we've already won. We need to have a feeling inside of us. You're not going to repossess the land we've already won, enemy. You're not going to take back territory. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, Adino wasn't the last one. In 1 Chronicles 11, it says this, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now, he had to be tough being the son of Dodo. It's okay to laugh in church. The Hoahite, who was one of the three mightiest. Check this out. He was with David at Pasdamim. And there were the Philistines gathered to battle against them. And they were in a partial of land full of barley. Somebody say barley. Now say cheap wheat. It's not the desirable wheat for bread. And the people fled before the Philistines. And they, being David and Eleazar, they set themselves in battle array. They stood on the field. They put themselves in the middle of the partial. They got right there where they were in the middle of it and could see all the way around. And the Bible says... And delivered it. They delivered it. And slew the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. I want you to notice a couple things. David was with Eleazar. And Eleazar was standing with what the previous generation had fought for for so long. And what that previous generation represented. Our previous generation, they made their bread and butter preaching Acts 2.38. They they preached it till they were blue in the face. They preached it until they were saying in their sleep, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They preached it so hard that they oftentimes say, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. They preached it so hard and they passed it on to us and we have received it from the Lord and from them. And what they fought for it was not a carnal fight It was a spiritual fight. So don't think they were building their kingdom when they planted churches and they raised up churches. They were building the kingdom of God. And Eleazar stood there beside the man that was building the kingdom of God. David was in the field. And Eleazar looking around him saw hundreds of Philistines there. And he knew, if I give territory away, I'm failing Israel. But if I give territory away, I'm also sacrificing everything that this man of God has done. 
I am not willing in my 37 years and now wherever God may lead me to sacrifice territory to the enemy, whether it be in my family, whether it be in my workplace, whether it be in my community or in my church, I'm not willing to sacrifice that. And I wonder if there's somebody in the house of God tonight that will say, I know who's in the field with me. I know what they fought for. I know what they sacrificed for. And I'm going to do it as well because it is worth dying in the field if I have to die in the field. It's worth saving just cheap wheat because it's God's wheat. It's worth just doing this because it's God's kingdom and God's purpose. I'm here to tell you tonight our weapons are not carnal but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible says about Eleazar that the battle was so hot and so long That as David was fending off his side of the field, Eleazar was swinging his sword on his side. To where he fought so long and so hard with the king. Because whenever you fight on God's side, God's going to fight right there with you. And whenever you fight the fight that your pastor is fighting, God's going to fight right there with you. And when you get in unity with the vision of the church and the direction of the church, God is going to fight right there with you. And he will not allow you to weary to where you die on the battlefield. Eleazar became weary. And the Bible says that he fought so hard and swung that sword so long that the sword claved to his hand. He couldn't even open up his hand when it was over. But he was so dedicated to the field and who was in the field with him that he was willing to fight to the death against all odds. It's interesting to me. That as we look even further, that there were more and more that came on that said, David, what you fought for, we're willing to fight for and defend even today. And I'm wondering if some of you are willing to say in your spirit what what the previous generation fought for and what the generation that is leading us now is fighting for. It's still worth fighting for today. You see, it wasn't, just, uh, it wasn't just Eleazar, but there was a man after him named Shammah. Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines were gathered in a troop, and they came down to a piece of ground full of peas. Lentils, the Bible says. And Shammah, he is the only one that stands whenever all the rest of Israel flees. But he stood, the Bible says. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. How many like peas? Me? Oh, I got a lot that like peas. I don't like peas very much. My little boy doesn't like peas very much, but mom likes peas. So whenever we have peas, dad and Josiah get out the butter and the salt. And we, 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 we disguise those peas as just pure salt. <laughs> anybody, anybody ever done that? Uh, man, there were more hands on the previous question. But Shama stands there in the middle of peas and defends that land. Maybe not the most valuable land, but he defended that land. I wonder tonight, as I, as I start to turn this to, to close, I wonder tonight if we are willing to stand in the face of a world that is more divided than it ever has been in our history and declare the word of God. Because at some points in our time, in our history as Americans, there were times that were conducive to church and morality and uh, spiritual things more than others. And now we are living in the time whenever everybody wants the blessing of God, but nobody wants to fight for the good things of the kingdom of God. Everybody wants to have that, that feeling that they're fine and they're saved, but nobody wants to etch out the work that is dependent upon being saved. And I'm wondering in this house 
If you're weary tonight, if you've been on the battlefield for a while and you're weary. I'm wondering that because I got hope for you. Even in difficult times, even whenever immor immorality is rampant and corruption and dishonesty is flowing from government all the way down to every other part of life. When pressure of society to conform and be something else and uh, division, like I've said, rages all the way through our country. I'm wondering if you've been wearied like I've been wearied. As I said last night, this is not a demonstration, this is an admission. I've had to turn off the news more times in the past two and a half, three years than I ever have before. I've had to turn it off because my mind begins to cycle division, hate, confusion, uh, misinformation, dishonesty, cycling it over and over and over again to where my spiritual vision, not my natural vision, but my spiritual vision has become blurred. And I can't see exactly what's going on because the narrative of this world has distracted and pulled us away and divided us more than ever before. Anybody else been like me and been wearied in the fight? I've been wearied in the fight, but our elders were also wearied in the fight. They also had difficult times ahead. They didn't have resources, but they still planted the churches. They still built the kingdom of God. And we, we enjoy the things that they built for us. And their weapons, I've mentioned it so many times, their weapons were not carnal and we have the same weapons today. And I know, I haven't said what those weapons are really, have I? Here's what they had first and foremost. They fell in love with truth and doctrine. They understood that it is the truth that will set you free. And it is the doctrine that reveals the truth and is the truth. And without those, there can be no freedom. They believed the mighty God is Christ. They believed the new birth and repentance, baptism and infilling of the Spirit was the only way to be saved. They believed in living a godly and righteous lifestyle. That was a weapon of their war, their love for truth and their love for doctrine. And in this world and in this age today, everybody says there is no truth. There is no, no absolute. But I'm here to declare what the Word of God says. There is a way that seems right to a man. And the end of it are the ways of death. But this is the way. This is the truth. And this is the life. There is only one way to get to God. And it's through repentance. It's through being baptized in His name. And it is to be filled with His Spirit. I'm sorry there is no other way. And our elders fell in love with this message. And I love this message. I love this Holy Ghost message. I love this Holy Ghost truth. I love this truth because it saved me. It redeemed me. It brought me up out of a miry pit when I should have been dead and gone. It redeemed my soul from hell. They also were not just filled with the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit. They were led like Acts 13 led. Whenever the Spirit in a prayer meeting in Antioch spoke and said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for a work that I have called them to. The Bible says they separated them, they prayed, and they sent them. We need to have the same weapon of obedience to the sending of the Lord in our lives. Let me tell you, you will be effective if you will learn to step and respond when God says go. We need to be able to have spiritual ears and spiritual discernment to hear when God says go. Amen. I want to hear Him say go because if I hear Him say go, I know every other thing will fall in place. I have never found Him to make me live in a state of lacking whenever I've pursued Him, Brother White. 
I never found him to be stingy whenever I have pursued his will. I have always found him to be generous and helpful and strengthening and bringing help and encouragement. And yes, I may be weary in the battlefield, but even in my weariness, I may be weak, but he becomes strong. Another weapon that our elders had as the musicians would come. They had an obedience that called them into places where it was not popular to go. And they were willing to go. More and more in our society, it is not popular for the church of the living God to declare the truth everywhere. But we must. Because every person needs to hear the gospel. Every person needs to hear the word. Not only that, they use the thing that nobody can really take from you. They can take away your car. They can repossess your house. They can clean out your bank account. They can fire you from your job. But they cannot take your voice. And they use their voice to declare in a dark world. There is a way. And it's the way of Jesus Christ. It's the way of hope. It's the way of salvation. It's the way of turning from your sins and running to an altar of repentance. That's a mighty weapon because when we declare and lift up our voice... The adversary cannot combat it because we don't speak just of knowledge from the word. But how many have ever found him to be your help? Oh, come on, somebody. Have you ever found him to be your help? You don't just have knowledge. You have experience. How many has he ever filled with his spirit? You don't just have knowledge. You have experience. And the enemy cannot silence experience. Devil, you may be able to silence my knowledge of the past or of history, but you cannot silence my experience. I've lived it. I've tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good and He is merciful and righteous and just. And they declared it and lifted their voice. But here's also what they did. They interceded. They prayed. They fasted. They dedicated themselves and said, I'm going to sacrifice the things of this world so that I can see the things of the kingdom grow. Brother White, I don't know how many elders that I know of that have gone on to their reward that never had health insurance because they dedicated every penny they had to the kingdom of God. I can't tell you of how many of them. They, they sacrificed vacations because they gave till it hurt in their lives. I can tell you of a few that I know. I can tell you of the man that built the home church that I'm privileged to be part of. His name was James Williamson. You may have never heard of him. But he came to the town that I live in. And he got a repair job with Sears and Roebuck and built a church. He would go and work that job. And then in the evenings and the weekends, he'd work the church. And he reached the lost. And whenever he'd be repairing dishwashers and be repairing refrigerators, he was always quick with a word of encouragement to the housewife who didn't know if she could pay or not. And he'd say, you know what? I'll take care of it this time. And before you knew it, a church was built because he loved people and he dedicated himself no matter what. He didn't build a career. He built a church. How many of us? In 2022, we'll look around the world and realize there are billions and billions of people that are lost. And rather than building a kingdom of our own and building a career of our own and building a world of our own, we need to build the kingdom of God. We have mighty weapons, but don't let them be tarnished on the mantle 
Don't let them collect dust any longer. God wants to use your life no matter if you're in your teens or your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, even your 70s or 80s. If there is breath in your body, God is not done with you. And I admonish you today, employ the weapons our elders use to build the church because your community needs it. Your family needs it. We must stay on the battlefield. Right. Because if us, if not us, who? If you stand with me all across the house. There are a few times that I can point to in my life that changed my, the course of my life. A few times. One of those, we were talking about Brother Cole last night. I didn't get to know him really well, but as I was a about a 19-year-old kid, he came and he preached his last message at our West Virginia District Camp meeting. And that message he couldn't even stand because of the toll that life had taken on his body. And so he sat in a chair and they put a table in front of him and he laid his Bible out open on it. And he he didn't preach what you would consider a masterpiece, but he preached a masterpiece to the hearts of many young men in that building and many young women. He didn't preach with great oratory. He opened the book and he said, this is what my life has shown. And he told us about things out of the book of Acts that he had seen. He said, now I'm old. And if the Lord tarries, I'm going to die. And he put a question to us. He said, who? Who is going to take up the torch? And who is going to take up my mantle? And who in this day, it was like, I don't know, 2000 or 2001, he said it. Who is going to carry it on? I ask you today, no matter if you've been in this thing twice in my lifetime, or if you've only been in this thing for a few years, or if you're a teenager, or even a child that feels the presence of God, are you willing to say, my family, my family is enough for me to sacrifice for the good of the kingdom? I feel the presence of the Lord. My workplace and my co-workers are enough for me to sacrifice to see the kingdom built, to see souls saved. Who tonight, who among you tonight will hear the echoes from the heavenlies who will go for me as Isaiah did and who will respond as Isaiah did. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I open this altar. I open it for recommitment. I open it for a sharpening of the weapons of our warfare tonight. The non-carnal ones, the spiritual ones. I open it tonight for the young, for the old. I open it for the middle-aged. I open it for the weary. I open it for the strong. I open it for those who have health concerns and health issues. I open it for those whose families are falling apart. I open it for those whose families seem to be fine. I open it for whosoever will. As the Bible says, come let them drink of the waters freely why don't you come right now why don't we come right now and let us allow a spirit of intercession to come over us spirit of intercession for the lost and the dying spirit of intercession for our communities for East Liverpool for Newell for the tri-state area Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia